if people with people the people that has like the second monitor second screen oh yes and then you get the site profile yeah <laughs> i, I love like, it when that happens the they look extra studious they're like curiously typing but it's just a site profile you know, some people will angle it where their fingers can be seen on the keyboard so it's an extra it's like study with me type of video but why it's a zoom class these overachievers. Hello and welcome to Hidden Among Us. I'm your host, Chris. And this is Honda. And welcome to episode 67. We have reached the first week of December. Let's just let that sink in and to like marinate and then cook. We're about to see the end of the year. I think that's wild. It's crazy. Yes, we're going to spend the end of the year with the Omicron variant. Yes. Hi, Omicron. Nice to meet you. Nice to see you. I don't want to meet you. Oh my god, everyone was calling it the African virus, and then we were like, it wasn't, or it's not the African virus, like South African scientists literally found out about it, so. At this point, you can't really pinpoint where it actually comes from anymore. Yeah, no one knows where it comes from, like these things just, my god, I'm telling you, we are living in a sci-fi novel, a sci-fi universe. A long burn. Yeah, a, a slow burn, you mean? Slow burn, yeah. Yeah, it's a slow burn. It, it in is... movies, at least it's fast and you get to the action fast. But like, this is just... <laughs> we're still <laughs> in like... <laughs> yeah, we're still in the second act. We haven't even reached third act climax yet. <laughs> long... This is a long exposition. And then 20 years later, that's when the zombies start to emerge. <laughs> oh, goodness. You know how like... There are these parasites that take over, like, an ant's body and literally turns them into, like, a zombie-like mm. creature and stuff like that. And then everyone's just like, oh my god, zombies could possibly exist. I'm like, I don't think that's your biggest concern now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a few years ago with the um, polar ice caps melting, like, millions of years ago, like, those kind of diseases and bacteria started to come out again. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, I was extremely freaked out about it, and I was wondering why no one else was more worried about it. Yeah, I was watching some medical show, and then they actually, like, referenced that, that fact about, like, past diseases emerging again. But all these are, like, new diseases, right? That we possibly have not researched about. Uh, the ones trapped in a polar ice cap. Yeah. And I think the show was saying like it's like a very old form oh, of the DC. Because so like it's been trapped have... there for so long. Oh, so, so it's the ones that we Yeah, so the ones we've been in contact and have resistance for is a newer version. But then because the older ones are different, then, you know, I don't mm. know. That was their logic. But what show was that? You know what? I I'm more comforted by it now. <laughs> I don't have to worry about strange 
zombie-like viruses or vampire-like viruses. Just lucky we're not ants. <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. I'm just lucky I'm not an ant that can get like parasitic. Like I can become like a host for a parasite. No, thank you. You know, NUS is having an exhibition. The NUS museum is having an exhibition for the parasite thing. I think I saw, but I'm too freaked out. I'm too freaked I'm out. Going, I'm going. I'm going on Thursday. I'm but too freaked out about it. If you want to go, let me know. I, I I will see how it is on Thursday. Then I'll let you know. Okay, let me let me know on a level of like one to lizard. Lizard being the most triggering, I will probably have like a panic attack and cry in the middle of the exhibition. Do you remember there was this one um exhibition? I think it came to Singapore many years ago, but it's the one where like it removes like the different parts of the human body, so like the veins and everything. <laughs> and then oh, I didn't put, even go to that. I know I went, but it was part of like this school ex like expedition. Mm-hmm. And like I remember being so fascinated by the intricacies of veins and capillaries and arteries because they literally remove it and I think it's a very difficult process to like remove it all intact and then like put it up on these giant like mm-hmm. glass slides thingy. I can't remember what it's I've seen what photos. the explanation is called. Yeah, I've seen photos of those like veins, like just the veins. It's so it cool. But I just red, know vessels. if you blew it, it would fly away in the wind like a tissue paper. Oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> Not that I would ever want to touch it, but yeah. Can you imagine that so thing is in your body? It's so cool though. Like I'm looking at my veins right now. I'm just like... I can barely see them. <laughs> Dang, what colour are yours? Okay, mine is like... There's a bit of purple... And green, which apparently means I have a neutral skin tone. But I feel like I lean a bit warm olive. Maybe not olive, but I definitely have yellow in there. Mine looks blue-ish green. Blue. Okay. So apparently blue-ish, like blues, means you have a cool skin tone. Which mm-hmm. I can definitely see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which means that like the regular peachy undertones wouldn't work for you. Look at me, sounding like I'm a make- makeup expert, but in reality, like I stick to one foundation because I can't match myself any other way. <laughs> you know how some <laughs> Korean makeup shops they'll have them. They'll like how do you say like they will put like several different color cloths on you and see which one is like your oh, color they do? yeah so like That's they will so cool. find out which color matches you I guess they would never attempt to do that on me since I don't <laughs> think I match any of their foundation shades <laughs> like, like they will have like rain like different rainbow like colored cloth like uh-huh. like a blue cloth a green cloth yellow cloth to so see yeah like which not undertone, just see what colour looks nice on, like, you. Oh! So I guess that's, like, your your colour. So, like, for eyeshadows or whatever, or something Ooh. like that. Honestly, I, I wonder if those things are expensive. Like, the service? Yeah. I think so. I'm I always want to see how it looks like, like, to have, like, those idol-type makeup. 
Oh my gosh, yeah. That'd be so fun. Like, I won't remove my makeup until like midnight because it's so nicely done. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if they offer those services now with the panoramic happening. Panoramic. <laughs> panoramic. So, Honda, do you have a case for us today? Yes. Oh. Can you imagine you're just like, uh, no, I don't have a case today. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> listening to our, our weird so it's talking journey about... of parasite and to makeup <laughs> to, to veins and makeup yeah <laughs> these are the weird conversations we have by the way everyone friendship <laughs> so today's case is about Janet Chandler I don't think she's that known because when I try to Google her, there's not much. I know not about Jenna. I didn't even find a wiki about it. Oh, dang. Okay. Yeah. So on a cold morning on February 1st, 1979, Jenna Chandler, a 22-year-old woman, was found dead in the snow. Ooh. Yeah. So a snowplow driver had spotted her new body in snow in a wooded area. And she had been completely buried except for her arm. Which country is this? Michigan. <laughs> Which country is it? Michigan. Hello, <laughs> 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 first here, guys. Michigan is a country of its own. Became independent. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So Jenna was found to be raped both anally and vaginally and her cause of death was found to be strangulation and police found bruises on her wrists which indicated that she had been restrained by handcuffs for a long period of time oh, and shit. adhesive glue was also found all over her face which suggested that her mouth and her eyes had been taped oh my god okay yeah so Janet Chandler was a 22 year old music student at Hope College in Holland Michigan and she had been abducted the night before from a job as a nightclub at the Blue Mill Inn. Okay. Yeah, so she was studying music at Hope College, a private Christian liberal arts school in Holland, Michigan. Why is your face? Sorry, the phrase private Christian, Christian liberal, liberal arts. arts. <laughs> it, just, it, it just doesn't sound right to me. But okay. <laughs> Yeah, so she came from a conservative Christian family and she was She went to a liberal arts school? It's a Christian liberal arts school. Okay, all right. And she was also religious. And before moving into her own apartment, she lived a very sheltered life. And Mm -hmm. her parents were quite controlling, but overprotective over her and to the point where they would not let her sleep over at any friend's house if the parents if the friend's parents drank alcohol. Oh, sounds like my life story, but okay. <laughs> yeah, so her teachers at Hope College described her as an emotionally sensitive person who would often burst into tears <laughs> if she was criticized. Stop calling me out. <laughs> I didn't say it was you. You started laughing in your own time reacting to you. Because I was like, it sounds like me. And then you were like, <laughs> emotional. And I was like, oh, okay. This feels like a personal attack, but okay. 
So Jenna mostly inherited her parents' religious views and her journals are filled with musings of a religious nature. So her last journal entry before her death had the question, when was Paul saved? When the, spot, when the Lord spoke with him to go or when he obeyed God and went? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my God, that is so poetic. I love it. Are I'm sorry, I'm just very into like <laughs> these kinds of like Christian thoughts. Like it's just, it's there's something so poetically beautiful about it. Maybe I've read too many like contemporary Christian poetry. <laughs> so I'm like, holy guacamole. But yeah, hmm, good thought. Yeah, so at the time of her mother, murder, Janet had been living in Ottawa County, Michigan. And she was living in the city of Holland, which at the time was undergoing some turmoil. A company called Shemerton had a paint plant in Holland, but the workers had gone on strike and the situation was getting ugly. So the company hired a security company called Wackenhut to provide additional security during the strike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Wackenhut brought in security personnel from throughout the country to guard the Shemerton plant during the strike. And most of the personnel ended up being housed at the Blue Mill Inn where Janet Chandler worked as a nightclub. Oh, okay. Yeah, so around 80 security guards from Wackenhut were living at the Blue Mill Inn at the time that Janet was working there. And Janet herself lived in an apartment with Laurie Swank, her boss, at the Blue Mill Inn. Mm-hmm. And Janet considered Laurie to be her best friend. Okay. Yeah, so the Wackenhut guards were known as rough guys that liked to party, and it was common for motel staff to hook up with them. So okay. both Janet Chandler and Laurie Swank indulged in numerous affairs with various guards. Okay. In fact, yeah, Swank had once uh, reprimanded Janet for having sex in the motel room at the Blooming Inn, which was meant to be a display suite. Okay. One night, Janet was working her night job at the Blue Mill Inn when suddenly she was confronted by a maid who accused Janet of sleeping with the maid's boyfriend, one of the Wackenhut security guards. Janet had phoned his room, telling him to come to the front desk right away. When he got there, he was surprised to find Janet there waiting for him completely naked. Janet then escorted him to an empty room where the two had sex. So, I mean, obviously the maid wasn't happy when she found out about what happened. And when she angrily confronted Janet, um, the argument could be heard throughout the hotel as the two women screamed at each other. Okay. Yeah, so this incident um, was the final show for Arthur Pava, the lead guard from Wackenheim. He was irritated that Janet kept having so many romantic uh, moments with his security personnel. And he became even more furious with Janet after Laurie Swank, um, the boss, uh, took it upon herself to inform him of Janet's most recent escapades. Okay. <laughs> you look so confused. I just think it's... Okay, so let's break down the situation because there's a lot of things happening, right? So Janet was having uh, um, multiple escapades with the, the security guards that were hired because of the strike going on. Mm. At the same time, the maid? The, like the hotel in housekeeping person. yeah the housekeep housekeeper let's call her didn't like it janet's boss also didn't like it and then the boss of the security guards also didn't like it mm. 
All because she was sleeping with the security guard employee dudes. Mm-hmm. But it takes two hands to clap. So why I are you blaming know. it all on Janet? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Learning others develop a hatred towards Janet. I mean, this wasn't really explained, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they wanted uh, Janet to be taken down a few notches. Yeah, so Fever assured Laurie that he had a plan to deal with Janet. And he told her that uh, he and a few other guards were planning a surprise party for Janet. So they were in this part- party, they were going to humili- humiliate Janet for acting like a whore. And then Fever told if his, <laughs> his own employees weren't doing anything. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Poor Janet though. Like okay. Yeah, so Peter told her that the guards around to teach her a lesson. The plan was put into action during the winter of 1979. Um Jenna was working her night job at the front desk of the Blue Mill Inn as usual. Um, but on that night she was visited by Robert Lynch, a security guard from Wackenhart, who told her that they were throwing a surprise party in her honor. Okay, first of all, his name is Lynch. So I already don't trust him. I would change my search. Yeah, so he wrapped gauze over her eyes and then covered her eyes with duct tape. Oh my She did not resist because she believed she was going to a party and that people were doing something nice for her. Girl, it's duct tape. (laughs) What a tie. Yeah, so Jenna was taken to a guest house near the Shemerton plant, and the guest house was where Arthur Paver lived. Um, he didn't live at the Blue Mill Inn with the other guys. So as soon as Robert Lynch dropped Jenna off at the house, she was possibly stripped, gagged, and handcuffed. So for the next 17 hours, she'll be humiliated, raped, and tortured until she was dead. Her tormentors included at least 10 men and about half as many women. Just the fuck, Disgusting. Man. Yeah, so at first the goal was only to humiliate Janet, but that's more than humiliation. And she was paraded throughout the house while she was blindfolded, gagged, handcuffed, and fully nude. Uh, all the while the others got drunk and partied around her. So they teased Janet and taunted her about the ordeal, telling her that she was getting what she deserved. Yeah, so a belt was wrapped around her neck in such a manner that pulling on the end of it would cause the belt to constrict around her neck. So this was used as a way to control her whenever she would try to resist or fight back. So after they were done parading her around, she was tied down to a bed. That is when more things started to happen. So one by one, all of the men at the party took turns beating and raping Janet while she was tied down to the bed. So while being raped, um, she would verbally abuse her and cheer on the rapist. they would yell things like, you're going too easy on her or fuck her to death. And Laurie, the <laughs> the so-called best friend, was among those in the cheering section. She called Janet a bitch and yelled at her that she deserved everything that was happening. So Cheryl Ruiz, the maid, the housekeeper who had been angry at Janet before the murder, murder was also present. While this was all going on, Arthur Paver used the camera to take pictures while the rapes were happening. 
this picture would be used uh, would be his insurance policy to ensure that nobody who was at the party would be able to turn on others without incriminating themselves. Wait, so they're doing this fully well, like knowing fully well that they could get caught? Because he took pictures I mean, that's as a, insurance. Like, like blackmail. And so then, you know, everyone there, you know, because their face got taken. It's such so, backwards <clears throat> logic, though, because in order <laughs> to get know. away with shit, you don't take pictures, even for insurance, because you, you want to leave, evidence, no, yeah. yeah, you don't leave any trail behind. This yeah. idiot it's is like, like how, like, I mean, even now, there are people who TikTok, like, <laughs> Like stupid shit that they're doing. <laughs> I know, but this one is, dude. They what they're doing to her is absolutely horrific. Mm. And he's taking videos as insurance. I think deep down, maybe subconsciously, this this asshole probably knew. Like what is not clicking that like this is illegal and this is terrible. And like the illegal part is like not even the most important thing about what they're doing to her. It's like, how can you degrade and dehumanize and do such a thing to somebody? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of scary when that that like group herd mentality steps in. Yeah, and, and this is essentially mob mentality because everyone is egging each other on. Mm. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, so the abuse of Jenna Shannon will continue um, until she was dead. Yeah, Robert Lynch was the one who ultimately killed Janet. Um, he was much older than all the others. He was 39 at the time of the murder, whereas, whereas the others were all in their early 20s. So while he, was raping, <laughs> while he was raping her, he grabbed hold of the belt around her neck and pulled it so tight that it killed her. See, I so told you, his name is Lynch. <laughs> Lynch. <laughs> Can't trust anyone with the surname Lynch. Yeah, so I hope this he... guy goes to hell. When the others realized that she was dead, they panicked. Uh, Pifa yelled out, the party is fucking over. And the participants then scrambled to clean up the house and find a way to dispose of her body. Ultimately, she was tossed into a snowbank 40, 40 miles away from the guest house. That is where she was eventually discovered. They did such First a of all, they did such a sloppy method of clearing her body. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was gonna say. First, <laughs> some idiot taking pictures. Then afterwards, you throw her in a snowbank. The snow these people have, have okay. The very fact that they even did this shows that these people have no brains. They're just vile through and through, just pure evil. Very. Yeah, Ava made certain to tell every single person present that he had photographs of them being involved, so nobody could tell on the others without incriminating themselves. Interesting. I don't see them like killing this guy for having evidence. And I guess because, like what I said earlier, because he was 39 and the rest were in their early 20s. So, you know, maybe they're still like immature. They are immature, but. I feel like. You, we can't even call them immature because immature <laughs> has that 
like a level of oh you don't know what you're doing is like wrong yeah you know immature is like that dude who backflipped into the stupid rhino enclosure <laughs> and then like woke up late is because he's just no concept of anything he's just immature this one is just purely evil yeah yeah but then but then this this insurance policy worked because for over 20 years that was enough to prevent (gasps) that was enough you know to prevent anybody from talking about what happened the shit, 20 years. So after the savage murder of Janet Chandler, the various participants simply moved on with their lives. Although they all lived in fear that one day the world would discover what they had done to Janet. After attending Janet's funeral, Laurie Swang moved to Pennsylvania where she worked as a nursing assistant. Ew, my God. She has the audacity to go to the funeral. Yeah. Shit. Robert Lynch got married and opened up a cosmetology school with his wife, who with whom he had two kids with. And the wagon hat security guard simply went home when the Shamerton strike was over, dispersing throughout the country. So, you know, they they all went on with their lives. Yeah, they, they just moved on like it never even happened. Yes. So the most interesting part of this case is how this incident like came back come to light again. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, they dormant for more than two decades and until September 2003 when a Hope College film class led by Associate Professor David Shook uh, made Janet's mother the subject of a documentary. Interesting. You know, I was just about to say like for 20 years, right, while these idiots, these assholes, these motherfuckers were going on with their lives. Like, can you even imagine being her family? I know, right? Like, I can't even... Like, it's... You you spent 20 years, I, I bet they were trying to do whatever they could to find out, right, what was happening. But it just leads to, like, dead ends. Mm. Oh, God, okay. Yeah, so the film, they hope, uh, would jog old memories and to remind people who Janet was. And if they're lucky, um, have to have some new clues about her mother. Mm. The professor had come across Janet's story in the spring of 2003 while interviewing a detective who was retiring from the Holland police force. Okay. So he asked if there was one case, if there was any case that still haunted like, the cops. So... And the cop pointed to an old photo of Janet that had been hanging on a bulletin board since 1979. And oh, the detective shit. replied, that Chandler case. Yeah, it must have become a cold case by then, really. Yeah, so the group of film students made a documentary about the murder of Janet Chandler, simply titled, Who Killed Janet Chandler? Okay. The film premiered in 2004 and had a limited run in local theatres. The documentary succeeded in reviving the memory of Jenna Chandler and then got law enforcement to reopen the case. Oh, okay. Good job. This is so, this is so cool that they get to work on it like this. For real, yeah. the power of film. Mm-hmm. For media. real. Media. <laughs> yeah, media. 
Goodness me. Yeah, so while making the film, the students attempted to track down everybody who knew Shanna to interview them. Mm-hmm. They, interviewed her, they interviewed her parents, her teachers, and many of the cops who had been involved in the original investigation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so nearly all the cops interviewed said that they were haunted by the unsolved murder and that it was the biggest regret of their lives that they weren't able to solve it. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, they probably saw the body as well. And she was a young woman. And yeah. probably scarred them also. So one of the people they wanted to interview for the documentary was Laurie Swank, the best friend. Yeah, who's uh, living in her swanky new <laughs> life, right? Yeah, so they kept asking around, but nobody could seem to know what had happened to her. And it took them a long time, but eventually they did find her in Pennsylvania. When Laurie spoke to the film students, she warmly described Janet as musical and unloving. Mm-hmm. So as the final weeks of the semester near, the class began weaving the interviews into a film. And the movie started at the end of Janet's life. The camera zoomed in on a crime scene photo of her hand poking from the snowbank. Okay. With a recording of her playing hand on the background, but then it shifted to happier times. Childhood pictures in which Janet's broad smile lit up each frame. So her younger brother, Dennis, remembered how she was always doing little projects to make Christmas special and was all around a good sister. But he observed that Janet changed after she took the job at the Bloomer. Saying that Janet had probably experimented with things adult too, maybe a little bit of drink. Okay, fair enough. So the film winds down with a heart-tugging plea from Jim Chandler who raised the possibility that he and... The film winds up with a heart-hugging plea from Jim Chandler, who raised the possibility that um, he and his wife might die without ever knowing who killed their daughter. Yeah, so he said that it would be a whole lot better to find out who did this and see justice done. And the killer will ultimately get punished, but we probably won't know about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they're already old by this time. Yeah, so as the young woman um, reviewed the re- reviewed, as the young woman reviewed the uh, finished film, uh, Sarah was proud of the class effort, but also frustrated, as they were no closer when that when they started guessing who murdered Janet. Mm-hmm. So she said that you know we wanted to be able to bring the Shannon's peace, but we all ended up with more questions. Yeah, so the local theater in downtown Holland was packed for the January 30, 2004 showing of Who Killed Janet Chandler. Holland Police Chief um, John A. Kuritov, who as a young officer had been, had been involved in the case in a minor way in 1979, was in the audience. He watched with rapt attention, and in the midst of students' filmmaking, he had already taken steps to reopen the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when the police reopened the case in 2004, they made it a priority to re-interview many of the Wacken Heart guards, even though most of them no longer lived in Michigan. Okay, good call. Yeah. One of the people they interviewed was Robert Lynch. Um, by this point, he was 65 years old. He had two children of his own, including a 22-year-old daughter. How could you live yourself? You know, you have a daughter of the same age as... I don't know. No, it's always these mofos that end up having daughters. And you're like, 
the heck? Because it's these kind of people who will be like, oh, I would, I can't even imagine something like this happening to my daughter. I will protect my daughter from like men like this. But then they do the the, the crime. They do the shit. I'm like, mm. yeah. So on the outside, Robert appeared to be a normal sixty-five-year-old man, except for his extreme alcoholism. <laughs> except for his extreme alcoholism, <laughs> he was normal. Except <laughs> he was an alcoholic. But you know what? He deserves that. He deserves to be an alcoholic. Destroy your liver, man. Go right ahead. I I have no problem with that. Mm. Yeah, so it was said that, you know, he drank as if he was desperately trying to forget something. No. No. You want sympathy? You get no sympathy. Destroy your liver. I don't care. Yeah, so the investigator sensed that Robert knew more than he was saying, so they kept coming back to him. And after multiple visits, he finally started to crack and open up about what really happened. Yeah, when he started opening up, he told investigators that right before the murder, um, Janet had been at a party that went haywire. Also, he twisted the, the truth. Yeah, I guess he didn't, he forget to mention the part that it was premeditated. And he planned it. <laughs> so. so this immediately caught the attention of investigators because um, they had been interviewing people for over a year and since it was reopened and this was the first time they ever heard anyone mention about a party. Mm-hmm. So, but when they tried to get more information, Robert started climbing up again. Yeah. And he said that he only heard about the party secondhand. Oh, okay, sure. <laughs> but still, the, the investigators um, kept coming back to him. And the big breakthrough came when the detectives pulled out a copy of the documentary Who Killed Janet Chandler and had him watch it with them. Oh, my As they gosh. watched the movie together, Robert started crying and he said that he regretted his entire life. Good. Good that he regrets his entire life. Yeah, he started telling investigators everything that he knew this time, honestly. And he admitted that he and a number of other security guards had raped and murdered Janet at a surprise party. He insisted that killing her wasn't intentional, but he also understood that it doesn't really matter if it was intentional or not. Yes. He has at least one brain cell. Yeah, so Robert gave up the names of the others who had been involved. Um, Arthur Pneva, Freddie Parker, Anthony Williams, and James Nelson. The investigators were most surprised that Laurie Frank had been there and she cheered on the gang rape as it was happening. Hmm. When investigators confronted Laurie Frank with this information, she finally broke and, and admitted that she had been involved in the murder. You see, the thing is right. If they were truly guilty about it, and they truly, like Lynch said, like truly regretted his life. When the officers questioned them the first time, they would have told the truth. But you see, even... they realized they couldn't get away with it anymore. Yeah, but that's the thing, right? They were trying to get away with it even till the end. Mm. But then they 
when they get pushed, they start crying to look more <laughs> sympathetic. But in actuality, they never intended to come clean about it. Yeah, I mean, without if it had not been for the documentary, I don't think they'll probably just, you know, live their lives and then die without getting caught. Essentially. Yeah, so when investigators confronted her, you know, she admitted that she was involved and she agreed to testify against the others in exchange for being allowed to plead guilty to second-degree second murder. Okay. <laughs> when police searched Kriva's home, they were able to find the rape photos that he used to blackmail the others into silence for... He kept it <laughs> after all these years? <laughs> Oh my god. Okay. Yeah, so the trial began in 2007. Um, Pava, Parker, Williams, and Nelson were all tried together. And Robert Lynch and Laurie Swank testified against all four of them. Okay. Yeah. Another person who testified at the trial. Sorry, I keep hearing scuttling across my floor. It's okay. I think Is you in a room? No, he's not. Because I was like, he's a Leo, but he's like, oh. all right. <laughs> Cue the X-Pound music. <laughs> what, what, how does it go? <laughs> <laughs> this is a school bell. <laughs> okay, you're up. Never mind. Move on, move on, move on. So another person who testified at the trial was Cheryl Ruiz, the hotel housekeeper who had been upset with Janet before the murder. Yeah, Janet has slept with Cheryl's boyfriend and yeah, so she was happy at first to see that Janet was finally getting punished for her constant sleeping around. However, she later testified that she had no idea that it was going to go so far or that Janet would end up dead. Right. If you had no idea, you would have come clean back then? What the shit? Okay. Yeah, so... Ruiz was told that if she ever told anybody about what she saw that night, that she'd end up just like Janet Chandler. So for almost 30 years, she said nothing. So she did end up telling her parents about what happened, but they told her to stay out of it, saying that she could be arrested if anybody ever found out what happened. So it wasn't until Arthur Paver was finally put on trial in 2007 that Ruiz broke her silence. Okay, but was she present there when it happened? Yeah, she was pregnant. <laughs> I nothing to say. They should send her parents to jail too for obstructing the investigation. All right. During the trial, Reyes claimed that the defendants, um, Paiva, Parker, Williams, and Nelson, would make surprise visits to her house for years after the murder to tra- to threaten her and remind her that if she ever spoke about what happened at the party, she'd end up just like Jen. So in the end, Favour was found guilty of first-degree murder, while the others were found guilty of second-degree murder. All four were sentenced to life in prison without parole. Um, after the convictions, the prosecution said that they believed that yeah, that others were also involved in the death of in the death of Janet Chandler, but it's unlikely that any more arrests will be made. So this is the story of Janet Chandler. <laughs> I like how film students came to the rescue. For real. 
Oh my god, this case was messed up. But the investigation process you delved into, so fascinating. Mm. Just so fascinating. It's not run yesterday. Um, I was scrolling through the channels on my TV. Turns out you're subscribed to the crime investigation channel. <laughs> Amazing, and like the the show that they were showing at the time, I stumbled upon the channel was this like cold case, um, show, and it was about a kidnapping case that resulted in like the murder of this young girl. And what happened was, um, they had two suspects in mind, mm-hmm. but allegedly at the time of the murder, these two suspects were incarcerated. They were in jail. They were in the county jail, I think. So mm. for several, several years, um, the investigators were like trying to solve it. They couldn't find anything. All their leads would essentially lead to a dead end um and then i think there was also during that time there was another disappearance of another girl that also resulted in like the murder of her so the officers were like bro we have no idea what's going on here Mm. and there was this one officer who was like i think he was retired at the time or he was retiring and he like took it upon himself to like investigate this case for himself mm. and after many years right he came across this one thing that was um said in the i mean he came across a lot of things so some of the um things the coroner found in the body didn't make sense that kind of thing but he eventually found out that um the two people that were meant to be incarcerated Mm-hmm. There was no records of them actually being incarcerated at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it took like 10 years or something to reach that point where he realized this. <laughs> and then they finally found out that the the kidnappers and killers were these two guys that were allegedly kept in jail at that time. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know. Okay. The, the reason why I bring this up is I think people who work like cold cases or like we find breakthroughs in cold cases, it's so fascinating because sometimes it's it's a small, tiny detail that mm. you miss. Like they, they interviewed this um, Robert Lynch guy so many times. Yeah. Right? And then it was like right at the end with the help of film students that they managed to solve in the end. It's just so fascinating. So, so, so fascinating. Yeah, I think Netflix also had a whole cold case show, right? Is it? I think so. Yeah, unsolved, like, cases in the past. Oh, okay, yeah, unsolved. But I think the, the cold cases that fascinate me are the ones that eventually get solved after many years. Yeah, I mean, those that remain unsolved are, like, really sad. Are, like, really sad. I mean, some of the most famous unsolved cases... John Bernay Ramsey. <laughs> no one knows until today who wrote the the ransom note. Mm. Yeah. Um. What else? I mean, there's a Zodiac killer until today. Everyone's just like, who is a Zodiac killer? This is girl I came across on TikTok who claims it's her grandfather. I was like, 
Okay. Well, to be fair, her grandfather does look like the sketch. And she was saying, she was comparing like handwriting, like this card he wrote versus like something the Zodiac Killer wrote. And the handwriting doesn't look similar to me, but she claims it is. So I'm like, okay. I mean, unless she actually find like a stash of trophy or something. Man. Yeah, but cold cases are very, very, very fascinating. Mm. Yeah. So thanks, thanks for the story, Honda. I feel like this is a very niche. Oh my god. <laughs> this is very niche, but I came across it purely by accident because um I saw a web link to a case. No, no, not a case. Uh, to a Wikipedia list of mass hysteria oh. incidents. And I was like, okay, because the um I've heard of mass hysteria. I think the only one that I remember very clearly was there was a story about I think hundreds of people who literally danced themselves to death. Uh okay. Do you remember yeah, I've heard that? that one. Yeah, okay, so I actually found out what it was. Um, <laughs> yeah, so upon Googling, it's called The Dancing Plague of 1518. Though I feel like the dancing one I know was a bit more recent and it happened in France, but I could also be remembering wrong. Hmm. Yeah, so anyway, this Dancing Plague of 1518 was where hundreds of people in Strasbourg, Alsace, so at that time, it was part of the Holy Roman Empire, literally were dancing for days. Wow. Yeah. I'm just... What is happening? But yeah, mass hysteria is very... It's a very interesting phenomenon because I feel like there are sort of explanations as to how some people could end up in like a mass mass hysteria sort of state but at the mm-hmm. same time it's also one of those things where no one is exactly sure yeah. as to why it happened like do you remember that episode from 911 Lone Star where everyone started like stabbing themselves oh, the one was because of poisoning yeah that one was called poisoning but like in the beginning, it made it look like a mass yeah. hysteria sort of event. It was so interesting. So yeah, so today's story is um it's about a mass hysteria outbreak that happened in a Brunei school in 2005. Yes. While I was Googling this story, there's also a recent mass hysteria outbreak in a Malaysian school in 2019. But I will save that story for another day because Mm -hmm. it's fascinating. So some information on what exactly mass hysteria is. And this is wholly quoted from Wikipedia, so thank you, Wikipedia. It's a (laughs) phenomenon that transmits collective illusions of threats, whether real or imaginary, through a population and society as a result of rumours and fear. In medicine, the term is used to describe the spontaneous manifestation or production of chemicals in the body of the same of the same similar hysterical physical symptoms. 
by more than one person. A common type of mass hysteria occurs when a group of people believe um when a group of people believes that it is suffering from a similar disease or ailment, sometimes referred to as mass sociogenic illness or epidemic hysteria. So mm-hmm. once again, thank you, Wikipedia. Um this event, the Brunei one, took place at the Sekola Thingi Parampuan Raja Isteri, aka STPRI Girls School in Brunei. The I know. Imagine a school song. Oh my god. Well, at the same time, right? I think it's just long because it's not in English. It's it a might lot, be still a lot of vowels. I, I know. <laughs> also, I don't speak the language, so I'm so sorry. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> At around 8 a.m., um, 14 female students went into hysterics. Okay. So interestingly, for this case, I think if you search, you have to search a bit hard to find because a lot of links are down, but you can actually find clips of the hysteria incident at the school online. And mm. it is actually very, very disturbing to see. Mm. Yeah. So the clip I saw was entitled that like the Sultan of Brunei went down to the school and then he saw the hysterics happening. So I can't verify if the man was really the Sultan of Brunei. But essentially the clip, you can actually see girls... Um, screaming and like flailing on the floor and several people have to like hold them down is very mm-hmm. very disturbing um what makes this story fascinating was that it wasn't just these 14 girls who were affected by the incident um so after these 14 girls went into hysterics the school was like okay we need to contain this they cancelled all classes for the rest of the day and sent the students home undeniably this also caused another type of panic because parents were like rushing down to the school and there were so Mm -hmm. many that uh, the road outside was literally like jam-packed with parents trying to like collect their kids to prevent further chaos and fear the ministry of education stepped in to acknowledge the situation at stpri so that saturday the school announced that there would be no classes for the day so that they could, you know, figure out what was going on and that they would reopen again on Monday, August 1st. Even though they took some time to settle things, they couldn't figure out what triggered the event. And then Mm -hmm. Monday came. And things started to get strange. So Mm -hmm. on Monday, nine more students were affected by mass hysteria. Then on Tuesday, four more students were affected. And finally on Wednesday, three more. So instead of this being like an isolated incident on one day, it took several days and more and more students were being affected by this mass hysteria. And mm-hmm. even at this point, no one could figure out what was going down, what was going on, because this literally came out of seemingly nowhere. Um mm-hmm. There was also an assembly scheduled um, for religious talks and to recite the Surah Yasin as well as the Quran. And during this time, 12 students went into hysterics. Hmm. So being an Asian school, 
<laughs> and being in a religious country like Brunei, they did the most obvious things. They called <laughs> in bomos and religious teachers. So what is a bomo? So a bomo is a Malay shaman. Um, they are primarily a healer, herbalist, geomancer, and sorcerer. Thank you, Wikipedia, once again. Along with bomos, um, they actually called ambulances to be on standby in case something happened. So, interestingly, when I said that the students were all flailing around, right, what they looked like was they looked like they were being possessed, which is also why they called down the bomos to the school. So these girls were shouting and rolling on the floor. And as I said before, several people were attempting to restrain them. But it was, mm-hmm. yeah, um, one of the clips you find you can find online is, I think they were just taping this one girl who was literally like just making these like moaning sounds and she was like bleeding everywhere. And I think there were three people trying to hold her down. Mm-hmm. Eventually, some students were able to calm down while others took a longer time to settle. Uh, Parents who were undeniably freaked out didn't want to send Mm. their children to school until they figured out what was going on. Meanwhile, the Ministry of Education was doing damage control and they were (laughs) appeasing parents by saying that everything was under control. But the parents were like, my guy, do you see what's going on here? Nothing is under control here. So to further help the students, students were made to recite the Quran and the Surah Yasin regularly because um, the school really believed that it was demonic possession, I guess. Mm-hmm. Which also makes sense if you see how these girls are reacting. And um, I have seen an exorcism before and I can like attest to saying that the way they were behaving is very much akin to how somebody who is like demonic possessed is would behave when they're being exorcised Mm -hmm. yeah so the big question is what caused this to happen like what could possibly cause mass hysteria so mass hysteria could one be caused by a contamination so contamination of water like what we said about the 911 lone star episode the episode that was, I think, lead or was it mercury? Mercury, I think. It was mercury in like the, the food, right? Mm, so yeah, so that could cause people to do these things. Um, it could also be caused when someone witnesses some, and this is the thing that I find very interesting. Okay, so this one says it could also be caused when someone witnesses someone being ill, and essentially the mind tricks their body into showing the same symptoms. That's so scary. Yeah. It is. Like we're but, so empathetic that we have the experiences. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's the thing. You know, it's like how sometimes if you see somebody, for example, they break their arm, like them, like it's really badly broken. You can almost feel the pain yourself. Mm-hmm. So I kind of guess this is the, this is like a similar thing to that. Um, social or emotional anxieties could also cause it. But like the thing that baffles me about these explanations, right, is how can it affect so many groups of students over several days? 
Mm. Right? If you're, no. if, you're trying, if you're saying that it's like, oh, um, you witness someone being ill in your mind to sort of like tricks you into exhibiting the same symptoms, right? I would sort of imagine it to be on the same day, not over like a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, so as I said, yeah, in the case of STPRI, they couldn't figure out why this suddenly happened. Um, to me, I guess the most plausible, logical, scientific way of thinking is it could be something in the water. Maybe. But then my question is, why did it only affect this group of girls? Like, wouldn't it be affecting every single person in the school? So from the teachers, to the principal, to, I guess, the people who work there, if you're all drinking the water, wouldn't they also exhibit symptoms? Hmm. Yeah. So here's one of the theories. Um, This is apparently, this was written by, allegedly, written by (laughs) a son of one of the BOMOs that went to exorcise the girls there. Mm-hmm. So according to the BOMO, several students were playing with a Ouija board using their okay. enemies' soiled pad to conjure spirits. Okay. <laughs> this is where I got a little confused because you don't need a pad to work a Ouija board. Anyway, moving on. Also, this group of students that uh, were playing with the Ouija board, apparently um, a week before they played with the Ouija board, they went to this old and presumably haunted building and they were like taking pictures and a teacher saw them and had to scare them away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And apparently the first person affected wasn't even a student. It was a cleaning lady who got possessed. And then after she got possessed, several students also got possessed. And the crazy thing about this was, um, this wasn't really reported much, but apparently it wasn't just the school that was affected. Nearby schools were also affected. So a nearby great school was also affected by this mass hysteria incident. Mm. Yeah. So the main intent of these um, girls using a Ouija board and conjuring spirits was apparently um, they were conjuring spirits to fight over a guy. Oh my god. In which I would say, girlies, it is not worth it. Please no. Please just don't do it. Also, I have a story about something like this. I shall tell it at the end of the story. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, other theories include someone wanted exam answers so they played spirit in the cup to get test questions from the spirit world. Oh and God. then they forgot to seal the portal between the human and spirit world, thus allowing the spirits to come through. And then these spirits possessed the girl. So um, it's not worth conjuring spirits for a guy and it's not worth conjuring spirits for test results, uh, test answers nope. as well. So sorry. So either way, the larger question about this mass hysteria incident in Brunei is, is this a story of demonic possession 
or just an unexplained mass hysteria incident? Mm -hmm. Because I was really, really thinking about it. And would you call it a demonic possession if it occurred in another country, like a more secular country, right? If this happened in like, let's say England, right? Would it be just mass hysteria or would people be calling it a demonic possession? They actually don't call it a demonic thing. <laughs> Yeah, so, so this is the story of the 2005 mass hysteria outbreak in STPRI. Yeah. Interesting. As for the little story about the fighting over a guy, I knew this, this colleague many years ago who was like very into, I guess, like tarot card readings and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And she knew a friend who knew a guy. So this guy was doing the like tarot card readings and stuff. And he would also create love spells. Okay. Yeah. So he would also create love spells if you asked for it. But the catch with the love spell is the person you want the love spell for. So let's just say guy A, right? You give it to guy A. Guy A will fall in love with you. But mm -hmm. Let's just say a year down the line, you realize that guy A isn't that great. Okay, he's in, he's really in love with you, but he's not that great. If you want to break the love spell or you want to end things with him, guy A would become suicidal. So the only way to break the spell is for the other party to kill themselves. Okay. I'm not making this up. This is a legit thing she told me, by the way. <laughs> so weird. Because this colleague knew people who got love spells. And I was like... I mean, I think there are ways to reverse it, lah, but it's just, if you <laughs> want to break it off, you can't. Because the other person would want to kill themselves. The only way to stop it is for one party to kill themselves. So morbid. I know. But yes, this is my story. Yeah, I remember when I was when when Mr. and JC like I heard about a mass hysteria in Malaysia. Yeah, I think it happened like 2016. 2016. The one article I saw was in 2019. Yeah, they had to call a BOMO or something. To the school. Yeah, I mean that there are actually a lot of incidents. Yeah. Quite a lot. Quite a bit. It's very fascinating. And like, what if it happens in Singapore? Like, it's quite funny that the school will actually call like a shaman, like in like Malaysia and stuff. But if it's in Singapore, I wonder what. Will no, happen. I don't think they would ever call shaman. Right. I, yeah, but I I wonder what they would do. Right, like, how would our schools handle it? Probably call the police. No. <laughs> What the police gonna do is just stand there and be like, <laughs> they'll probably get everyone hospitalized. Mm -hmm. They'll send mm -hmm. send the students so off to the yeah. Well, very fascinating. Mm. And also, as I said, a very niche, <laughs> a very niche story. 
Yeah, so it's interesting to hear cases about mass hysteria. Like, I mean, I don't want to experience it, but <laughs> same. I don't wanna. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and click that follow button on Spotify. You can also listen to us on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon, and whatever podcast platform you listen to. And you can follow us on Instagram at HGU Podcast. Share us a message or send us a story if you'd like. You can also email us at hiddenamongustree at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.